Welcome to the Hanukkah Roundtable. It was such a fantastic success when we did this for the Festival of Sukkot. We're back. It's almost Hanukkah, and I have the gang is back here. This time we made the decision to do it in the Torch Center. We learned from last time it's a much better recording environment with all these fantastic microphones and all this apparatus and paraphernalia. If not for the average rabbi's above-average technical wizardry, I think the other one would have been unlistenable, unpublishable. But we're here to learn about Hanukkah. Hanukkah is in a couple of days, and of course it's the maybe the most iconic of the festivals that we have in the year. There are, of course, all kinds of deep mysteries to plumb, and we decided to get together again. And we're not, uh, we didn't collude, so no one knows what anyone else is going to say, but everyone prepared like a short idea, 10 minutes or so, to help uh, enhance the experience of Hanukkah for all of us. And uh, it worked well for Sukkot. I think it'll work well. Everyone seems to be uh, locked and loaded. And uh, let's let's do this again. If this if this works, if people like it, they could send us emails at our respective email addresses and say we want it again. Uh, but I wanted to start by introducing my co-hosts and my colleagues over here. So I want to go around the room. Everyone, just tell us your name. You know the role that you play at Torch and when you joined us. And the name of your podcast or podcasts, since we recorded on Sukkot, I think we added like, what, five new shows, a ton of new shows. So that's already obsolete. What we said last time was obsolete. So let's start with Rabbi Nagel. Just who you are, a little bit about yourself, your role at Torch when you joined, and about your podcasts. It's amazing to be back here, and um, not only... I hope it was fun for you to listen to, but it is so much fun to just sit with this chevra, this group of rabbis and lay leaders and discuss Torah. It's amazing. And uh, I learned a lot last time, and I'm sure that I'm going to learn a lot more this time as well. I've been in Houston, Texas since 1998. I moved here as a very young man with three very little kids who are now very big kids. I, I, I was 12. The average rabbi was probably six or so. 98? 98. I was nine. Nine. He was nine. Okay, wonderful. Anyway. Already above average. 1998, nine. we came, um, and I, I stuck with it with Torch, never left. Um, maybe had a hiatus here and there, but I never. I Not on never my clock. Really, what? Not on my clock. Not really. Not really. And uh, I've uh, been podcasting. For quite a while, we uh, one of my podcasts is the Dafyomi podcast that is done daily. Uh, it's a daily study of folio of Daf of the Daf of Gemara of Talmud, as well as uh, I collab with Reb Aryeh Wolby as the Unboxing Judaism podcast, which we do right now. It's been pretty strong weekly, and it's another podcast that I love doing. I've been a guest also on Dan's podcast, but uh, only once in a while. So anyway, uh, it's a pleasure being here, and that's my intro. Dan, give All us right. your story. I will take that, Rabbi, that, that's uh, offered that you'll come back on the Shmuel podcast. Okay, so i got lots of ideas lined up for you. So this is Dan Coleman. I am the president of the Board of Torch. I'm not only the president, 
I'm a customer. I think that was the men's warehouse. <laughs> or no, the hair. The hair the, You're going to like the way you look. The hair guy went. All right. I don't know if I pulled that off right. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting off the rollick and start here. <laughs> but anyway, that, that is true is that, you know, I got introduced to the torch because they're the ones that taught me Torah, brought me back to Judaism, taught me everything that I did not know. And I had the great honor upon the request to be the president of the board, which is my favorite gig ever because I have to do very little. That's the way we like it. And I... I think you have to do a uh, end-of-year appeal on the podcast, though. That's one of the responsibilities. Okay. I like doing that one. Whenever I sit across from a microphone with any of you, it's a blast. I'm always happy to do that. But like the rabbis I look up to, I started the Shemad podcast, I guess, three years ago. And at the encouragement of Rabbi Yokoff will be, I decided to take the approach, like, what in the world could I offer? I have infinitesimal amount of Torah wisdom compared to all these great rabbis sitting around me. But I thought what I could do is from someone who was, especially at that point in time, who knew he was going into the trajectory of living full Torah observance, moving into community, that I could take the listeners with me and ask the questions that I was having and everyone could learn along with me during this process. So that's the Shema podcast. Dan, thank you so much. We're so excited to have you here on the Hanukkah Roundtable. Rabbi Arya. So wonderful to be here. My name is Arya Wolby. I'm in Houston since 2005. It's been an absolute ride and a joy and a pleasure every single day being part of this fantastic organization and an absolute privilege to meet so many wonderful people in our community and learn Torah together every day uh, with the advent of podcasting. Uh, it's become even more joyful and even more fun. And uh, now I am host of four podcasts and co-host for one. Uh, so the four are the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, the Thinking Talmudist Podcast, the Parsha Review Podcast, which is the Cliff Notes to Rabbi Yaakov Wolby's Parsha Podcast. So if you want it in just like 20, 30 minutes, the whole Parsha, you got it right there, the Parsha Review. And then we have the Living Jewishly Podcast. And the Thinking Talmudist talks about Talmud, different beautiful ideas and concepts of the Talmud. The Parsha Review is each weekly Torah portion. And the Living Jewishly, what we do is we summarize one simon, one chapter of Halacha every week. And we go through it. It's concise, it's clear, hopefully, and useful so people can have in 10 minutes an entire chapter of Halacha. The one that I co-host with Rabbi Nagel a very, very precious podcast, Unboxing Judaism. And that is such a delight because we get to talk about relevant topics and have a discussion about things that are on people's mind. Just recently, we published a podcast on anti-Semitism and uh, what's recently been going on. And it's really interesting to hear uh, Rabbi Nagel talk about it. I really love his insights and his uh, wisdom. So thank you. Well, thank you. I feel like if, if, if someone dedicated their life to just listening to Torch podcast, it could be like a nine to five job, definitely, which is what we want, right? Nine to five. That's yeah. Maybe while you do, while you work on your widgets, <laughs> you could uh, you could study Torah with uh, with Torch. Rabbi Bosco. Shalom aleichem, ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, and everyone else. I am Chaim Bosco. I've been in Houston, also known as the Average Rabbi. 
I came to Houston in the summer of 2019 because I was actually thinking about coming to Dallas from Jerusalem, and I called my old mentor and friend, Rabbi Yaakov Wolby, who I was the only person I knew who lived in Texas, to ask him about Dallas, and he said, uh, forget Dallas, just come to Houston. Mm-hmm. And I agree. <laughs> thank God, I, I agree as well. I'm very grateful for this opportunity. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I really believe that it's the greatest opportunity for an outreach rabbi is to work for this organization. I truly believe it. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity and to share Torah with you. So one of the things that I noticed before coming to Houston was if I'm going to do outreach and use media in a way to reach people, I saw all of these selfie videos, these like vlog style Torah ideas that outreach rabbis were doing, and they were absolutely horrible. I was like, I don't want to watch this. Why would someone who's not interested in Torah already want to watch this? So I realized I got to do something different, and that was the impetus to start uh, the YouTube channel that uh, that we have called The Average Rabbi, where I sort of developed this persona and developed Torah ideas in a way that's satirical in terms of the, de- the delivery and the humor, but it's real Torah content, so... Uh, hopefully it'll be entertaining to some of you. Maybe you'll get it. Maybe maybe you'll think this is not my style. <laughs> it is. It, it does have a style, shall we say? Yes. So it's newly revived. We we put out a video uh, recently, and please God, more more to come very soon. Uh, in addition to that, I have a podcast called "What Is Judaism," which is an all-encompassing series that really goes through all of the beliefs and philosophies of what Judaism is, which if you know nothing about Torah, I mean, that's really where you got to start, right? Like, what is Judaism all about? What is the religion? Give me a crash course in the entire religion. And this is a series that's based on the text by the Ramchal, Moshe Chaim Lutzatel, written in the 1700s called The Way of God, Derech Hashem. And the format of the podcast is I took a student of mine who we've become good friends recently within the last six months, who came from no education, no background whatsoever, and got interested and started, you know, said, teach me, teach me about Judaism. So perfect. The format of the podcast is I teach him this text and translate it into plain English that someone with no background could understand. And he processes it and he's in, in incredibly intelligent and insightful. And so he tries to to internalize it and asks the relevant questions. And it's a great format for someone who's who's never been exposed to Judaism to get the full picture and hear someone's perspective that's learning it from the first time as well. Uh, unfortunately, slash fortunately, we're going to take a hiatus. Very fortunately. We're going to take, right, we're going to take a hiatus from the podcast uh, from recording episodes for a little bit because Joe is going to yeshiva. Wow. Well, we, we, we can't, he can't record from yeshiva? Well, we'll see. One I want second. him. Can we find the next Joe? <laughs> Just plug in the next Joe. Is there a is there a generic Joe? Kama Yosef How many Joes are in the marketplace? It's a good point. It's got to be for another podcast, though. Joe's Joe's the right guy for this one. So we're we're excited to send him off. Uh, he please God he'll be leaving within the next week. Where is he going, Yeshiva? He's going to the illustrious Asha Torah, where I went many many years ago, where I began my Jewish education at the age of twenty. Wow, in Jerusalem. So, in Jerusalem. Wow. Oh, that's fantastic. We have an all-star class over here. 
I'm, I'm surrounded by greatness. Well, my name is Yaakov Holby. I've been a torch uh, since 2012. I think my current title is Director of Global Outreach, which I which I kind of like. I wish it was more interstellar outreach as well, but we'll get to that next time. So I have uh, the proud host well, of... We, we can, but as soon as we get verification from NASA that they're listening to it on the space station. Well, I, I was banned in China, Ooh. but I think uh, I think they uh, they I got past the Chinese firewall. So I guess we could get to the International Space Space Station. Um, I'm the proud host of six different shows on the podcast. Uh, this Jewish Life, which talks about Jewish life, it's got over 400 episodes, uh, maybe even 500. I've been doing it since 2012, a long time ago. Uh, the Jewish History Podcast is a podcast about Jewish history. It's been a little dormant for a while, but it's, please God, going to be revived. I hope to release an episode in the very, very near future. Notwithstanding that dormant uh, status, it's still on the top 20 of global Jewish podcasts. Well, so. what can I say? I guess... Um, keep it up. Yeah, well, keep on listening and downloading. Uh, there's the Parsha podcast, which is uh, every week, a new Parsha uh, episode of the Parsha. Uh, we are uh, now in year seven of the Parsha podcast. And uh, if you want to study the Parsha with uh, the best audience in the history of podcasts, come join us at the Parsha podcast. And there's Torah 101, which is one of my favorites. What can I say? It's hard to choose amongst your favorites. But uh, this is, we just released episode number 63. And like uh, Rabbi Busco's What is Judaism? It really is, I call it an, an intellectual's introduction to Judaism. If you're intelligent and curious about Judaism, and you want to learn more, but in a rigorous, comprehensive, and, and, and intellectual fashion, and you don't want to be treated um, in an infantile fashion, you want to be treated like an adult, this is, uh, this is for you. Right now we're doing the 13 principles of faith, which are the philosophical, theological, eschatological principles that undergird our religion. And uh, we just released episode number 52 in that series. We just wrapped up principle number 11. We did 14 episodes on principle number 11. We're about to start principle number 12, which is Messiah, and I'm very excited about that. I'm hopefully working on at least 10 episodes. Uh, everything you need to know and a lot of stuff that you didn't need to know uh, about Messiah, that's Torah 101. And to wrap up uh, the uh, Sitch podcast, there's the Ethics podcast, which is talking about the Perkyavos, Ethics of the Fathers. Uh, we're almost uh, towards the end, one episode per Mishnah. We're in chapter six. And finally, the Mitzvah podcast, which is currently, we just did uh, Mitzvah number 116, 115 or 116. I think 116, it's been, it's been edited and it's not quite been released. Uh, but uh, we do one episode per Mitzvah. If you want to study all the 613 Mitzvahs, and you want to get like a little snapshot of every mitzvah, not uh, comprehensive. Some of these mitzvahs you can study all year. If you want to study all the Talmud and all the commentaries, you can study legitimately a whole year just with one mitzvah. But we're you know, 20, 30 minutes on every mitzvah, just uh, just a snapshot. Now, I think it will be a gross violation of my contract with Torch if I did not mention that we're in December. This is the last month of the calendar year 2022, and everyone knows we we have one fundraiser a year. But that means that we try to get everyone to give at least once a year. So if you have given in 2022, we've decided with consultation with our board that we'll still accept a second gift. But if you've given, fantastic. You're a partner in 2022. If you have yet to give, go to the website, torchweb.org and make a donation and be partner with us in all our work in 2022. And if you've given, just stick around. 2023, we'll hit you up again. But once a year, we, we, don't, we don't like to fundraise all the time. We want to do it once a year. Everyone gives a gift once a year, and then uh, and then 
uh, will have enough support, please God, to make it, uh, to keep the torch lit throughout the year. If anyone wants to comment on that and uh, share their appeal, please do. But otherwise, we'll uh, we'll just uh, jump in. What is your about Rabbi Buster? You want to do a little appeal on the podcast? There's nothing more valuable than gaining the wisdom for life. What would you rather invest in? I think it's as simple as that. It's not just gaining the, the wisdom it's of the life. It's the FTX. The real FTX, like full Torah oh, experience. Oh, it's the full Torah experience. Oh, this is not the rebrand I wanted. <laughs> but but we don't go bankrupt. Crash, right? But we don't crash and we don't go bankrupt. Oh, gosh. Imagine all the people. They put all their money in FTX. They could have given it to torch and earned an eternal merit. Because, again, you say we're getting, we're, we're, we're getting, people are getting wisdom for life. But when someone supports us, they're also giving wisdom for life for innumerable people. So your, your money does go a long way. And uh, we're very fortunate to have an incredible, incredible team here. But I look at everyone who contributes as a team member. So this is the easiest way to get on board, to help spread the word of the Almighty, uh, to spread Torah in, in the world. So uh, thank you all for support, torchword.org. Let us begin. Rabbi Nadal has a seniority. So he's going to get us started with an idea on Hanukkah. Let's hear what uh, Rabbi Nigel has to say. Amazing. So first of all, let's, uh, uh, there's like a, a, a Mishnah that discusses the various students of Rav Yochanan ben Zakkai. And it takes, uh, and he says something very fascinating. He said that if you put all the wise men on one side and you put this particular rabbi on the other side, he will outweigh them all. Now, that's not exactly the way I would describe Hanukkah, but it certainly is unique in terms of holidays that just stands alone and stands different than every other holiday. And the real question is, why is this holiday different than all other holidays? And that's what I'd like to just open it up to the rabbis here to think about and maybe chime in and explain. What do I mean, why is it different? So most people are quite aware of the fact that typically the way Jews celebrate holidays is with a festive meal. There is no requirement at all of a festive meal on this holiday. You have to eat some donuts, though, no? You don't, it's not a requirement. It's not written anywhere <laughs> that, it must be, that you must gain weight or anything like that. That's odd. That's odd. Where's the festive meal? The, it's just... There is no refraining from work that is required, according to the law, in this holiday. Other holidays have that kind of concept. You need to not do work or something. It's a holiday that is unique in terms of when it is. Holidays are always in the center of the month when the moon is full. Here's a holiday at the waning part of the, of the month. The 25th, there's only 30 days. This is almost, there's very little left to the moon. And there's a reason why the holidays are at the height, because they really connect very much. The only holiday that isn't that way are holidays that are related to another holiday, for instance, like the beginning of the year. So obviously it's not going to be when there's a moon. If it's the beginning of the year, it's also the beginning of the month. Um, Yom Kippur is 10 days later, so it's not exactly at the height of the month. But the holiday of Sukkot is on the 15th, as well as the holiday of Passover is on the 15th of the month. The holiday of Purim is on the 15th of Adar, 14th of Adar, depending on where you are. 
Tubishvat, the fifty, the the Arbor Day, Jewish Arbor Day, Tubav. Holidays typically are always at the height of the month, and here it's at the waning part of the of the of the month. It's at the weak part. It's strange. It's a strange holiday in so many ways. That's such an interesting question. I love that question. The holidays are all bunched together at the first half of the month when the the moon is in its waxing stages, or when it's at its apex, its uh, apogee. I think it's called, I made that up, I don't know. But it's so unusual, this is the 25th of the month, so it's, uh, the moon is all the way at the end. It's all the way at the end. Well, Shavuos well, is towards the beginning of the month. But it's right, the month. No, So they weigh I, each other out. No, but like you said, it's 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 that way because it's exactly seven weeks after days, yeah. Passover, so it's connected So to that's Passover. right, that's what I was trying to explain. When it's connected to a different holiday, you kind of get it. But here, it's a standalone holiday that's at the waning part, again, the weaker parts of the month. And it's in the dead of the winter also, which is also strange. You know, like it's at the darkest part of the year. Days are, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, days are extra short here. Shabbos comes in so early. We're very popular in the Southern Hemisphere, I must <laughs> Southern say. Hemisphere. Yeah, we got a lot of listeners in Argentina <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and Brazil and Australia. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what, what, what winter? We were just started the, the summer. So these are like part one of the some of the questions that really one needs to think about. Why is this holiday so so unique? And hopefully, what you'll hear today are answers to some of the unique qualities of this holiday. On the uh, just the other day in the Un- Unboxing Judaism podcast, so we touched a little bit on Hanukkah, and it really is to me a hint of what Hanukkah is all about is it's a different level of engaging with the Gentiles that's also unique to a holiday because the mitzvah is to publicize, not internally, but to the street, to out there, that everyone out there in the world should see that we are holding strong and we are lighting our lamp. And it's you know, that's one of the ways you want to know if this is a Jewish community, you come around Hanukkah time you see the Xmas lights, you know it's n- probably not a very Jewish community. If you see these little candles in the window, you know it's a Jewish community. This is the time that you actually are seeing the difference, but we're actually not hiding it. We're there projecting it. So we know that the, one of the primary components of what it is to be a Jew is to be a light into the nations. If there is one holiday that epitomizes the being a light into the nations, it's really this little holiday that's uh, that that we're discussing um, and that we're learning about now. So this is just some of the thoughts that I wanted to share with you. It's not really formed thoughts, but it's things that you need to think about. And hopefully, as we discuss and as we learn more about the holiday, you'll see why it's such a special and unique holiday. And that's uh, that's what I wanted to share with everybody. Well, thank you so much uh, for those thought-provoking ideas. Uh, Rabbi Nagel, what an interesting way to get us started. Uh, it, it is different. This is a different kind of festival. And it's, uh, of course, that uh, raises some questions. Maybe we could resolve some of those questions. But I think you know, we're a nation that loves questions. A good question is something to ruminate over. And uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, let's uh, turn to Rabbi Wolby Sr., who prepared something really nice for us. I'm sure. Well, I, I want to first attack Rabbi Nagel's question. Let's go. Let's go. So let's the first go. thing is that. The first month of the year is Nisan, 
So we have immediately the first holiday is the holiday of Pesach, of Passover, and then we have Shavuot, and then we have Sukkot. And then for the next six months, there's no holidays. So the first six months of the year, we have all the holidays, and then we have no biblical holidays. It's just an open field day. And then we have three. We have three festivals, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot. Then we have three rabbinic holidays in middle of this long winter. I would like to suggest that each one of the biblical holidays reflects one of the rabbinic holidays mm, where you have Pesach, which is the foundation of our emuna, the foundation of our faith is replicated in the holiday of Hanukkah. Hanukkah, we spend eight days and we're instilling in ourselves emuna, emuna, emuna. Connect with Hashem. You know, Say, just tell us that what is what do we get from the lights of the menorah? We're not allowed to use them. Can't read a book next to them. We can't play cards next to them. We can't use those lights for anything, but to use them for our eyesight, to look at them. Say, just tell us when you look at the menorah, you're instilling into your soul emuna. It's, it's eight days of emuna, so it's reflecting the holiday of Pesach, Shavuos is the holiday of the Torah, where we receive the Torah, and that's what Tubishvat is. Tubishvat is the Rosh Hashanah for the trees, and we know that the tree is the Eitz Chaim Hilamach HaZikimba, so we have the, the, the uh, I guess, the parallel between um, Shavuos and Tishabav uh, and, and Tubishvat. Then we have Sukkot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Purim. We know that Yom Purim, Kippurim, we know that really the essence of all of those holidays are really it's one long holiday. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and, uh, and Sukkot, it's Chag Ha'itanim. It's where the, all of them, we're demonstrating our commitment to the Almighty. And Purim is the exact same thing where the Jewish people demonstrated their commitment to the Almighty. So I think that there is a, a way to connect it. I haven't thought it through enough to give a whole well, 10 we, minutes We, we know that um, Purim is also the day that we reaccepted the Torah. When we accepted initially, it was under duress. There was a gun to our head. There was a mountain that was being held over us like the sword of Damocles. Uh, and therefore, we accepted it under duress. And we had, a, we had an out. And the Talmud says in the book of Shabbos that we accepted it again out of love and not under duress on, on Purim. So maybe... Uh, Maybe Purim relates to Shavuos as well. Definitely sounds like a great idea. Uh, so, just one of my one of my enjoyable uh, uh, things, my most favorite things to say on Hanukkah, is the only. I think we mentioned this in a previous uh, iteration of this. The only holiday where we have an external display to the world is Hanukkah, and I think the reason for that is so that. We take that light, we take that responsibility as a Jew to feel proud of our Judaism, to feel the importance of not shying away from our responsibilities. We are meant to be a light to the nations. We are meant to shine the way for them. Take that menorah and put it brightly at your front window. Show that you're proud to be a Jew. Share that light with the world. Be an example so that people can learn from your ways. Not one that they say, oh, not that kind of Jew. No, that kind of Jew that we, everyone is looking up to and saying, here, look, this is an example of how God's people should be behaving. 
think we should utilize Hanukkah as really a re reaffirming within ourselves our commitment to the Almighty, to His Torah, to His mitzvos, and uh, hopefully being a light to the nations. Well, you you mentioned anti-Semitism in your other podcast. I uh, over the course of Sukkot, I never spoke about this in the podcast. I don't think I did any of my podcasts, so I could say it over. Uh, I have a book called The History of the Jews in Berlin and Brandenburg, written by one Eugen or Eugene Wolby, who was my great-grandfather, my grandfather's father, grandfather talked about it on the podcast, his father, who was a professor, and he was a historian, and he was an author, and he wrote many, many books, including A History of the Jews in Berlin. And, and Brandenburg. And Brandenburg, which apparently is like the province, you know, of, of Berlin. Anyhow, yeah, that's, where, that's where they lived. That's where my grandfather was born. The, the, the book is actually dedicated to my, my dear son, Wilhelm, which was my grandfather's uh, German name. But uh, it's, in, it's in German. And they have these in, interminable words that you can't read. There's no way for you to decipher it. So I had the book, but I, I couldn't read it. I couldn't decipher it. On Sukkot, we have a family that comes to visit from Germany. And I say, you're from Germany? I have a book. I need someone to help me read it. I want to read something about it because just to have the book was written in 1937. History of Jews of Berlin, 1937. That's kind of a, a very critical time in, in history. And the woman says, well, I'm a professional translator. Let's go. So I pulled it out. And in the sukkah, she was reading citations. And this is, and my great-grandfather was fired from his job after the Nazis came to power. He was a professor and he was fired. It's even on- online. I found there's a plaque in his in his school where they commemorate the, the Jewish professors that were fired. But he's writing about what happened in Germany after the rise of the Nazis. And he says the shuls were all packed. And the German Jews, of course, you know, Germany, the Jews were more integrated in Germany than any other place in the world. You know, there were the lawyers and the physicians and the dentists and the accountants. Like They, they were integrated into society more than any other place. And he writes, this is what he writes in the book, and he actually passed away before the war. So he doesn't know how this all ended. Well, he knows now, I guess, depending upon the different opinions of Talmud as to how much people who have passed know about what's happening here or even care about what's happening over here. But he's writing how the shuls were all jam-packed and there was a collective realization that we made a mistake. We forgot about what it means to be Jewish and we tried to be German patriots. And yes, it's important for us to support the country that we're in, but we're Jews first and Germans second. So I think, you know, you spoke about anti-Semitism. And again, I don't know how much anti-Semitism is really on the rise. Is, is, it, is it a phenomenon that's in the real life or it's just in, in the news? Because it is in the news a lot. Uh, but I think it's a powerful lesson that you said, Rabbi Wolby, and that is that, you know, Hanukkah time, it's a great opportunity for us to display our Judaism. And we're kind of revealing ourselves. And that's uh, important for us uh, as in the event, you know, I don't want to talk about things that are outside of my expertise or my professed area of expertise, but the anti-Semitism is apparently back in the news. It's definitely back in the news, but it's, it, it, it seems like it might be in vogue again. And of course, Jews always know that we're never really safe. You know, a Jew with any sense of history always has a passport that's valid, you know, because you, you, you never know. The Jews were very secure in every place that they were, not every place, but in many places that they lived. And again, I'm not claiming that America is becoming anti-Semitic because to its credit, to its eternal credit, America has never been, well, with some minor exceptions, but has never really been anti-Semitic. There's, of course, pockets of anti-Semitism, and there always is, and we know that it's always there, it's always dormant, it's a force that's been 
present and active for 3,300 plus years. We know it's true. Um, but it, this is coming back up or it's surfacing in the news. It's important for us to not forget who we really are. And Hanukkah is a great time for us to put that on display and uh, wear it on our sleeves, figuratively. Uh, display it, uh, project it to the world. It's a, it's a great privilege that we're part of this nation. Let's not uh, be ashamed of that. So this was not in my notes. I, didn't, I wasn't planning to talk about that, but I was just following up. But I want to pass the baton uh, to the wonderful Rabbi Busco, the average rabbi, and uh, hear what he has uh, to say for us. Sure. And, well, before I, I begin, just one comment on on the, the pride to fight anti-Semitism, the pride of being Jewish. It's important to be proud to be Jewish, but it's equally, if not more important, to know why it's important to be proud to be Jewish. Right? Well, it, it's not just some racist, you know, we're better than everyone else. We have to get educated. Learn the values of the Jewish people. What do we stand for? Why is it important for us to be here? And that's what makes us proud, what we do, what we stand for. So that's why it's so important to listen to Torch podcasts and get educated about what our values are. I love that. I love that. Always be closing. <laughs> okay. So I'd like to share an idea that's always been one of my favorite ideas in Hanukkah since I heard it. There are a couple of parshas that are involved in Hanukkah, and it starts off with, and, and there are really two major characters that span this. And one is Yaakov our ancestor, because it starts off with the parsha of Vayeshev. And am I correct with that? And then it goes into Miketz. Yeah, you, yeah, it's always the week of Miketz, but it starts in Vayeshev, I think. Yeah. So it, sta- it starts over there. And in the beginning... Uh, m- meaning that the, the festival of Hanukkah falls out when we read those respective parshios in the book of Genesis. Right. And there's no coincidence to that. There's a reason why we're reading sections of the parsha at that time of the year. So right at the beginning of the parsha Vayeshev, Rashi quotes a Madrash, an ancient teaching, that says the following story. And it's related to a verse in Ovadia, the, the prophet. And I'll quote the verse at the end of the story, like Rashi does, like the Madrash does. The story is as follows. There was a marketplace in, its, in a certain town, and they saw approaching the town a straw merchant was loading camels and camel loads of straw into this town, into this marketplace. And someone that was working in the marketplace who was a blacksmith started to get anxious. And he was asking, how is it possible that we're going to fit? How is there room for this person? How are we going to fit all of this straw into the marketplace, into the city? It's not possible. It's too much. A wise person, says the Medrash, a wise person told him, what are you so worried about? One spark from your bellows will go forth Ignite the straw and burn all of it. As it says in the verse, the house of Jacob is fire, the house of Joseph is flame, and the house of Esau, Esau, is like straw. That's the end of the Medrash. That's the end of the teaching. And it, it's a bit perplexing. And the reason is, there was a, there was a great rabbi, his name was Avram Weinfeld, of blessed memory. And he asked a, a, a quite blatant question, if you think about it for two seconds. What's, what's the great wisdom of this guy? You know what his advice was? This person's so distraught. How are we going to find room for this merchant to bring all his straw in? And you know what the wise person tells him? Oh, you, you know what you should do? Burn it all. Commit arson. <laughs> <laughs> great. Why not just murder the guy? Get him out of here. 
what kind of advice is this? Why is he so wise? What, what is this? What's he telling him? So Rabbi Weinfeld explained he wasn't giving him practical advice. He wasn't telling him that he should commit arson and burn all of the wares of this incoming merchant. He was just making a point. He was illustrating something. He said, you're so worried, you're so anxious about all of this volume of straw. But I'll tell you something. One spark from your bellows could ignite all of it and burn it. What does that mean? If it had not been straw, if the same amount of volume of merchandise had been, let's say, logs of wood, a spark wouldn't do anything to that. And the difference is because wood is dense. It's substantial. In straw, there's nothing to it. It's fluff. It's a paper tiger. It's nothing. There's nothing to it. He says, you're so worried, you're so distracted about all the straw. It's going to fit. Don't worry. It looks like it's really big. You could crush it down. It's going to fit. There's really nothing to it. It's insubstantial. And that's the message of Hanukkah. The message of Hanukkah, and that's why it's written in these parashas over here, this message that we seem overwhelmed by the world, by our enemies that come at us. And this applies on a sociopolitical level when it comes to national enemies, but this applies on an internal, personal level as well. We get so distraught and overwhelmed and intimidated by quantity. How could I possibly overcome the desires that are so strong from the physical world? How could I fight my enemies? They're so much larger than me. And the message is, you're so distraught and distracted by all of the quantity. I'll tell you something, the quantity means nothing. It's absolutely valueless. It's insubstantial. One spark, the spark is from Jacob, from Yaakov, one spark of true spirituality, of true genuine desire to be connected to God will devour all of that illusory physicality. This is a time that wakes Jews up. And we might feel bad about ourselves, about how little we're doing in terms of our lifestyle and our spiritual practices, and we might think, how could I possibly do all of the things that are required of me, and how can I fight my evil inclinations and overcome all of these things? And what we need to be aware of, especially during the time of Hanukkah and a time of darkness and a time where we're feeling weak and uninspired, that one ounce, just the tiniest little spark of genuine desire to connect to God is incomparably more valuable than all of the rote practices that we could run through. So when, when we want to get inspired, we want to move forward in our spirituality, what do we take from Hanukkah? Take one thing that we're connected to and do it with all your heart. Do it with passion and desire. Do it with love. And that one little spark will take over everything. Wow, I was mesmerized. That was incredible. Beautiful. Yeah. Bastro. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That's fantastic. Thank you. And that, is that the spark of Hanukkah? That's what you're saying, like the menorah. That's right. That's the light. The light that we're lighting in our homes. It's in our soul. I thought it was a spark from Torch. Oh, wow. Just want to say that a, a lot of what you said really relates to the fact that it's in the darkest time of the year. It's, it's at the end. It's the waning part. Mm. It's when Jews feel their weakest. That's when it's time to remember Hanukkah. 
that's specifically at this time when Hanukkah is needed to shine a light. A little bit of light goes a very long way to banish. chase away the banish the darkness, especially in the darkness. Wow, that that, that was an incredible. I love it. Thank you so much, Rabbi Basco and uh, and Rabbi Nadel. Um, Dan, we're ready to hear from you. I hate going after amazing rabbis. That's fine. You can just go. They want me to announce that Rabbi Nagel is leaving, but he's still deeply embedded in our heart. Exactly. <laughs> okay. He has to go to some uh, Torah engagement. Well, you you hate going after Rabbi, Rabbi Basto. It's tough. Someone has to do it. I know. Well, after <laughs> all of you. But it was great just listening to all those ideas and sort of, sort of merging them with the thoughts that I've been considering. And it's very similar thoughts this time of year when it comes to Hanukkah. One, it's a holiday I'm very passionate about, and I'll explain why. And it's also one that gives me a, a deep sense of gratitude. So why am I passionate about it is because when I look at my family heritage, like many Jews today, I know, like everyone, if I were to go back and look, whether it was my it was not my grandparents, you know, it's not my great-grandparents, but maybe my great-great-grandparents. Somebody at some point on both sides of my family were Torah-observant Jews. And then I look at somehow that devolved to a point, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way about my family, and I'm very thankful for all of them, but somehow the Judaism devolved to a point where this time of year in our living room, one side of the living room had a menorah, and the other side had a Christmas tree. So what went awry? And what I will say is that it is that the internalization of what Hanukkah's about got lost. Somewhere along the line, they did not get taught what you rabbis taught me early on. And that is, is that the Almighty does not give us holidays throughout the year to commemorate historical events. These events throughout the year are there to serve as a purpose, a necessary action item, and something that will give us the ability to have a successful life. So when I look back at the, the time of when this events of Hanukkah took place, and you look at the Greek culture that the Jews were fighting, and you look at the culture we're immersed in now, not only do I not see any difference, I see Greek culture more amplified yeah, the Greeks, now. The Greeks were in shape. They had much lower levels of obesity. <laughs> <laughs> so, but even though maybe they were more successful, it's still what everyone pursues here. Mm-hmm. You know, when I used to work out at the public gym, the dress code there was the better shape you're in, the less clothes you need to wear. And I would literally, about the time I quit that and built my own gym, I sort of came to the conclusion that if Texas state law did not require that they wear something, they would eventually start going naked because it was literally as minimal clothing as possible to show off their physicality, which was the entire Greek idea is that all there exists is physicality. That's what they pursued. And that is the world we live in. I mean, how many ads you see up? Lose weight, people, you know, modeling themselves. I, I hate to interrupt, but there's the fantastic joke that uh, all the food that we eat on Hanukkah is all super fattening. It's all, it's all 
very oily latkes. And we're gonna, we're not gonna give it to the Greeks. We're not gonna be chiseled. <laughs> oh we, no! We show our big bellies and afterwards and pudgy say, "Pudgy dad bods." <laughs> <laughs> we won <laughs> victory. Sorry for that. <laughs> so my point is that this battle against this Greek ideology, it's not only over. It has continued in every generation, which is why this holiday is so important. And it's intensifying. It's getting more intense as time goes on. I just recently did a podcast with some brilliant young men. Hopefully, I will. I'll finish getting edited out there. But a sneak preview, they share with me something I never had heard before. They share with me that one of the decrees of the Greeks was to remove the front door off the home. I never heard that before, but I thought to myself, that was the most ingenious tactic of everything. No brismila, no Rosh Kadesh, all these things, removing the front door. Why was that so powerful? Because they knew that the Jews were looking out at Greek culture continually, day after day, it would begin to influence them. And this idea hit me like a ton of bricks, that evening when I was doing my normal routine, 9 to 10, I'm trying to chill out, get away from the caffeine and start to mill out, get to sleep. And I realized as I'm holding my iPhone, looking at my either a YouTube app where I could listen to some Torch videos or I got the Amazon Prime or the Netflix, right? I'm looking at that as those are my doorways. And, it, and quite often I click on a doorway to Greek culture. It's not even my decree. I'm doing this on my own free will. So the Greek war has become way more, way more high tech. And so we're, and then you look at the Greek army. Back then, it was a tremendous army compared to the Maccabees. And because of their faith in Hashem, of course, they became victorious. But again, this battle is ongoing. I was thinking about this, Rabbi. Nagel was talking about the, the 25th of the month, because you look at the Torah, I always sort of see it as there's a micro lesson for our individual lives throughout the year, and our personal growth and our personal lives, and there's a macro big picture theme too for the Jewish people. And could it be that the later end of the month, as the brightness of Mount Sinai continues to fade as we get closer and closer to Mashiach, it's sort of pointing to that later end of the month, that time when we need this holiday the most. Because when you look at the Greek army today, those spewing, you know, atheism, they may be praying to other gods, but just like the Greeks, they're gods that are not the real true God. They are in the billions now, the billions that are influencing us every single day. And so there's many headwinds against us. But then I started thinking, this is where I get to the moment of gratitude. Who are the Maccabees in our generation taking on this mighty army? And it is the rabbis that I'm sitting with right now, Rabbi Nagel, who just departed. It's the rabbis that are focused day in and day out at spreading the light of Torah throughout the world. They are taking on what seems mathematically impossible, but they're succeeding. The rabbi... Yaakov will be asked about why support Torch. I always look for proof. Give me the data. Show me why this is a worthy organization. I want to know 
If I give Sadaka dollars, I'm looking when I go to heaven after I've left this world and I have to try to account for all my, you know, my lack in Torah wisdom, that I can point to my Sadaka and show I made a really good return on investment. My return on investment on supporting Torch is measured by one thing, and that is the number of Jews they influence on a regular, ongoing basis. And that is why you rabbis are the Maccabees of our generation. And I'll leave the listeners with this, is that in this era, we all need to join the fight. And as I mentioned, that smartphone is sort of like a sword, a weapon that the Greeks use against us. That smartphone you're using to listen to this podcast, but it's also our sword to fight the Greek ideology. And the way you swing that sword is when you're done listening to this podcast, you hit the share button and send it to a Jew who has never been shown the light of Torah. You share it with them. And if you share it with three Jews who are unaffiliated, who have never been exposed to Torah, and you share with them that light, that is your move. That is your swinging your sword and fighting in this battle alongside with us. I absolutely love it. They, the Greeks wanted to give us their culture through the door, and we're taking the menorah and placing it by our door and sending it back at them. Exactly. And, I, and our little flickering light of the menorah can uh, outweigh all their darkness. I absolutely love that. That's a great way. Maybe we should rename Torch like after some something that gives light. Oh, okay, we redid that. Okay. <laughs> uh, I have an idea I want to share. Um, y'all have uh, energy for this? <laughs> We're ready. Uh, okay, so this is an idea that I've spoke about. Ladies uh, and briefly. gentlemen, now for the main part of the oh, program. Please, please, yes. please. Please turn to page six. So um, Rabbi Bastro spoke about the Parsha of the wheat that uh, Hanukkah falls out at. According to some of the commentaries, there is an, uh, a hint to Hanukkah elsewhere in the Torah. Of course, the menorah that we light on Hanukkah is not exactly the same menorah that they had in the temple, but it's based upon the miracle that happened to the menorah in the temple. And of course, the menorah in the temple, we read about the Torah, about the menorah in the temple. And uh, in the book of Numbers, it tells us that Aaron is told to light the menorah. And Rashi points out the curiosity that that part of the Torah comes immediately after the inauguration of the tabernacle. And all the tribes, the heads of the tribes, brought these very elaborate tributes on 12 successive days after the inception of the, of the tabernacle. But there was one tribe that wasn't uh, present there, that didn't have a role there. That's the tribe of Levi. And Aaron, of course, as the high priest, the high Cohen, he's really the head of the tribe of Levi. And he was a little dejected. You know, all the other tribes get their day in the sunlight and the spotlight, and the uh, tribe of Levi does not get. Immediately after that, we have the menorah. So Rashi says, well, there's a reason why there's this juxtaposition because God is reminding Aaron, well, you have the menorah, and the menorah is way better. Don't worry about them. They got something, okay, but what you have is much better. That's what Rashi says. And you read Rashi, Rashi's talking about the menorah that he lit in the temple. You look at this incredible comment of Ramban. Ramban's not happy with the way Rashi interprets this idea based upon the Midrash. Rashi says, well, if, if God's trying to comfort and console Aaron, why is he telling him about the menorah? Like, what about all the sacrifices? What about Yom Kippur? What about the Ketorah? There's a lot of the things that Aaron does that no one else does. Why is the menorah specifically? Why is that the consolation to, to Aaron? So he says, he reinterprets the Midrash. He says, 
This is the inauguration of the tabernacle. Hanukkah is the reinauguration of the temple. And the menorah that's being referenced in this midrash, it's not just the menorah of the temple of the tabernacle, the menorah with three stems on either or three um, three bars on either side. You're talking about the menorah of Hanukkah. And that's really what's being hinted to. That's the, the amazing Ramban in uh, the book of Numbers in chapter 8. Incredible idea. That, that's the con- the con- what's, the, what's Aaron's consolation prize? You have the menorah. Which menorah? The menorah that's going to come in a thousand years from now when, they, when the Hasmoneans come and they reestablish the, the, the temple in the second temple era. That's going to be your consolation. That's what the Ramban says, which is it's really interesting because it doesn't, it doesn't seem to really answer the question. You know, God tells Aaron, what are you worried about? Yours is much greater than what they have. Because in a thousand years, your descendants, the Hasmoneans, the Maccabees, they're going to reinstitute the, reestablish, reinaugurate the temple, the second temple. And, and that is so meaningful, it's even better than the inauguration of the tabernacle. It seems kind of odd, especially given that, you know, Hanukkah, it's a wonderful festival, it's a rabbinic festival. It doesn't quite pack the same punch as what we have in the temple. So how could Aaron possibly be told, oh, the, the Hanukkah is so great, it's even better than the inauguration of the, of the tabernacle. I wanted to suggest an answer. It goes like this. And this does fit in nicely, does dovetail with some of the ideas that were shared here earlier. It's interesting. We have, we have a few mitzvahs that entail us lighting candles. Of course, every shop is we like candles. And... On Hanukkah, we like candles as well. But it's interesting, if you study these two mitzvahs, they're almost opposite mitzvahs. So for example, we talked about the Hanukkah candles you're not supposed to use. The Shabbos candles are specifically there for you to use. The Hanukkah candles, they have to be facing outwards. The Shabbos candles have to be facing inwards. Hanukkah candles, you must wait till it's dark to light. Shabbos, you better light before it is dark. What is the interplay between the two mitzvahs that seem to be similar, light candles in your house, but they seem to have very different meanings? So I wanted to suggest that Shabbos is a measure of the world to come. Hanukkah is really about what we do in this world. The Talmud tells us that the olam about the world to come is like the sun. There's tons of light. Outside, you know, it's not dark. Hanukkah is when it's really dark outside. And in fact, the, the famous Midrash says that when the Torah starts off and it says it was really dark, that's actually a reference to the Greeks. In the times of the Greeks, it was really dark, and that one little flickering light came to illuminate the darkness. So I wanted to suggest the following idea. We have a soul within us. The soul is a beacon of light. How do I know that? That's what the scripture tells us. Ner Hashem Nishmasadam. The reason why torch and Aish and every other Jewish outreach organization has some sort of allusion to fire, because it's because it, we all have a fire within us. And that's our soul. And our soul is even loftier than angels. And our soul is the thing that's most similar to God in the whole existence. It's not a part of God. Don't make that mistake. It's similar to God. It's a very lofty creation. 
problem is our soul is deep, deep inside of us. And our objective in life is captured by the menorah of Hanukkah when it's a dark world. The presence of God is not present in our world. You have to look really hard to find God in this world. Our objective is to find the little candles inside of us, unearth it, and spread it outwards. There's going to come a point in time where that light is, is as manifest as the sun. That's all I'm about. The possibility to doubt the existence of God exists only in this world, only in this dark world. In Olam Abba, there's no such possibility. Ein Zulazcha, there's nothing besides for God in Olam Abba. Our objective here is, 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 is to find something, to find that soul, and to take it from within us and to spread it outwardly. And that's the power of, of this festival. It made me think that if Hanukkah is about taking the light that we have within us and bringing it out to the world and illuminating the dark world. In essence, it's, it's taking holiness and bringing it to places where the holiness was not yet present. That's really, that's really what Hanukkah is about. The, the, the Greeks come and they corrupt everything. And we're taking the holiness and we're bringing it back to the places where it, it really should be. The, the temple's corrupted. We're going to restore it. The world's dark. We're going to illuminate it. The, where's the presence of God? We're going to bring the presence of God to that world. It made me think about the Talmud. The Talmud says that if you have two people, both righteous, but one of them was righteous their entire life, tzaddik, perfect tzaddik, and the other person was not righteous their entire life, they're about tshuva. Which one's greater? The Talmud tells us, everyone has to know this Talmud very, very well. The place where the Baal tshuva stands, the completely righteous person cannot stand. If someone is a penitent, they have repented. They're on a higher level, they're closer to God than the person who never sinned. Which is an incredible thing. Aaron, there's, when, when there's a tabernacle, when we have Moshe, we're surrounded by the clouds. There's illumination as far as the eye could see. The, the presence of God is totally palpable. And then you have the, 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 the heads of the tribe, the princes of the tribe, and they'll bring their, they'll participate. And that is fantastic. But Aaron, you know what's even better? When there's darkness and there is an absence of holiness and there's a dearth of holiness and it's a dark world. And you take the light and you bring the light to the dark world. You take something which did not have the presence of God in a palpable fashion, in a palpable fashion, and you illuminate it. That's like the Balchuva. That is bringing light to a place where the light was not there. That's a higher level. And I realized that you know, the Hebrew word for Jewish outreach, what's the Hebrew word for Jewish outreach? Kiruv. Kiruv. Who was the first person to do Kiruv? Avraham, right? Well, Avraham, but it doesn't say the word here about Avraham. It says it about Aaron. You should be a disciple of Aaron, who loves people, loves peace. Oivis Abrios loves humanity. Umekarvim la Torah. Brings him close to Torah. Aaron represents this. This is Aaron. And God says, no, this is for you. You're responsible for Kiruv. You're responsible to take people who maybe are distant from Torah. That It's dark. They don't have the exposure. Find that light and bring it to the world. Discover the light. Discover that beacon that you have, but it's just maybe not necessarily there. You start off, it's dark. Bring that light to the world and make it beam outward. 
that's our mission. Uh, that's what that's what Hanukkah is about. Because Hanukkah, Rabbi Nagel started off by saying that it outweighs the rest of the festivals well, on some level. It outweighs the rest of the festivals. Maybe this is why, because this really represents what we are here to do. We're here to find that candle within us, and when it's already dark, it's not like it's uh, Shabbos, Olamabai, the sun is out. It's dark. It's dark. And you're not there to enjoy it. You enjoy it, Olamabai. You're here to work. Well, what's the work? Find that candle that's in, and bring it out forth, and spread that light uh, everywhere. My grandfather wrote a book that most people... Um, is less familiar with. In fact, he, he renamed the book because he, people mispronounced the name. The name of the book is Shalhevet Yah. Shalhevet Yah, which means the, the flame of God. And everyone would mispronounce it as Shalhevet which means nothing, which is just gibberish. We all have a flame of God within us. Problem is, we're thrust into this world. The Talmud tells us, this world is comparable tonight. So we have a, a fire, we have a light, we have a spark, we have a torch, we have illumination, we have closeness, we have power within us. Everywhere it's dark. Everywhere it's dark. Hanukkah represents what we're here to do. Find that, find that light. And when you discover that light and you bring that forth, the temple is fantastic. Unbelievable presence of God. But the temple, it was always light. The presence of God was always ever present there. And that's great. But Aaron, what you will have is even greater. My grandfather used to say just one final line here. Who is going to bring Messiah? Who's going to bring Messiah? It's the Bali Tshuva. That's who's going to bring Messiah. The ones who grew up without Torah, without a deep connection, a deep background in Jewish learning, those are the ones that have the most ability to spread that light forward. So if you're listening to this, I'm going to latch on to what uh, Dan said. If you're listening to this, that means that you have a little bit of the light within you that's now being exposed. You have the power to influence people in a tremendous way. I think we talk about the Shema podcast. What do these Wolbies know? They were indoctrinated since they're little kids. They went to separate uh, gender schools and they were just fed the Kool-Aid. It's a tasty Kool-Aid this time, but it's, they, they don't know anything. They can't relate to Dan Coleman when he was 40 years old. He himself says, I'm not going to misquote you here, but you grew up, you were an atheist, right? Yeah. And someone like that comes all the way to Torah and moves into a, a community of Torah observant Jews and starts a podcast. That is the real power. So yes, we're going to do what we can to help spread the message, but you, if you're listening, if you haven't uh, stopped listening already, you know, 20 minutes ago, if you're still here, know that you have power within you as well. And this is the lesson of the festival. And this is the mandate that we all have. Once we discover a little bit of the light that we have within us, spread it forward. I thank you all for listening. It was beautiful. Uh, thank you, Rami. Oh, thank, yes, thank you. you. Magnificent. Any final thoughts? Any final appeals? You know what's great about Hanukkah is that you can start the sentence, Hanukkah is all about, and you could say about 800 different things, <laughs> and it's probably right. But doesn't that work for every festival? I think it's especially true with Hanukkah. And, and, it, you, and can't, you can't have donuts on Pesach. <laughs> Matzah donuts. There, there's, so, there's so much Torah in Hanukkah, and it makes this kind of thing frustrating because I'm sure we all have 300 things to say. Maybe I, next year we'll do I one every a, for eight nights. I love it. 
while eating donuts, latkes, latkes. Well, I, this was fantastic. Um, I, I'm gonna let everyone share their email address. If someone wants to reach out, go ahead, Rabbi Bustro. You'll go first. You can reach me at the Average Rabbi at TorchWeb.org. Excellent. And you can reach me. This is Dan Coleman at President at TorchWeb.com. Dot com. Or, or One more dot time. President at TorchWeb.org. No, you got to keep that in because once people hear that little. It's okay. Dot com also ac- works. They actually remember it's just, it. It's actually. <laughs> With TorchWeb.com works also? Yeah, it also works. Are you serious? Yeah. It just redirects? I didn't yeah, know that. He, he, he made him buffers for me because he knew I'd. <laughs> okay. Rabbi Wilby? Your name at torchweb.org. Oh, that's a catch all. <laughs> that's a catch all email. No, but it's awolby at torchweb.org. A W O L B E at T O R C H W E B dot O R G. Well, my email address is rabbiwolbygmail.com. I do have a torchweb.org email address, but I've found that it's just easier with the gmail.com because everyone can seem to remember that. However, once we're on the topic, torchweb.org, if you want to support the great work of Torch from the Torch Center and the fantastic work of the average rabbi who is the uh, the, the king and the dictator of, of Torchwood, which is a next-gen Jewish community. Read more about that on the Thriving website. Jewish community. Yes. And the great work of, of Dan Coleman, the... Uh, the lay leader here at Torch, and of course the fantastic work of Rabbi Arya Wolby and the Torch uh, Center, and uh, all the fantastic work here that we do, torchweb.org. Make a donation, be a partner. Thank you for listening. Have an incredible Hanukkah. And if we get a positive response, maybe we'll do this again for, I don't know, two bishvats. So much fun. I hope the audience wants it back. I, I, I love this. I have to prepare like a fifth of a podcast. I love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> I would just get together and just chat. Maybe we should do that every once in a while. <laughs> love it. Well, thank you all, and uh, happy Hanukkah. Have a beautiful Hanukkah.